Good morning, Wilshire. Thank you for your faithfulness, for being here this morning to start your week in worship. Boy, after last week, this is one of those Sundays we especially wish we could be together. Um, But under the circumstances, this is what's best. The elders have decided this is the uh, wisest approach, and we pray for the day that we can be together again. Well, since we've been talking about waiting over the past few weeks, I thought you might find this a little interesting. The watch company Timex asked people how long they're willing to wait before taking action in a variety of situations. Here's some of what they found. We're willing to wait 13 seconds before we honk at a car in front of us that stopped at a green light. That's about 12 seconds longer than I wait. 26 seconds we'll wait before we shush people who are talking in a movie theater. 26 seconds before we take the seat of someone who's walked away. We'll wait 45 seconds before we ask someone who's talking too loud on a cell phone to keep it down. We'll we'll wait 13 minutes for a table at a restaurant. 20 minutes for a blind date to show up before we leave. And And this says we'll wait 20 minutes for the last person to show up before eating Thanksgiving dinner. Now, if you're ever at my house, you get five minutes tops. After that, you're on your own. Well, waiting is what we do. Waiting on the Lord is the language of faith. And God's people have faithfully waited for God to act. Israel waited 430 years to be delivered out of Egyptian slavery. They later waited 70 years to be delivered out of exile. It was 700 years after Isaiah talked about a a young virgin who would give birth to a child. 700 years before Jesus was born in the manger. And here we are, we've been waiting 2,000 years for the sound of a trumpet and the voice of an archangel and for the arrival of Jesus. Those are just the big moments. And all of us have waited for God in other ways. We're all waiting for an end to this pandemic and for the ability to worship together. Some of you have been waiting and praying for healing and comfort. We've, we've prayed for relationships to be mended, for opportunities to open up. We wait And we wait, and we find ourselves asking that age-old question, how long, O Lord? And the challenge throughout all of this is to remain faithful, to trust that God will keep his promise. And it's challenging to have the courage and the conviction to wait and to remain focused while we wait. So this week I did something that you don't normally go around telling people you did. Thursday was a very busy day for me. Lots of meetings, a ninth grade boys Bible class to teach, and then some other meetings. And and in between everything that was going on, I got in my truck and I looked to notice that my, my fuel gauge said empty. Not just getting close to empty, like looking up at the E sort of empty. So... Even though I was in a hurry, you got to stop and get gas. And so I pulled into the station, jumped out of my truck, and I, 
I put the nozzle in, uh, in my truck to fill the tank. And I did what you're not supposed to do. I got back in my truck to wait because it was cold. And as I waited, I, I looked on my phone. I checked my email. I read the news. I skimmed through social media. About 10 minutes passed. I decided to get out, pulled the nozzle, stuck it back in the gas pump, and I went on my way. Just as I was turning out of the gas station, I glanced down to notice that the fuel gauge on my truck still said empty. I had sat in my truck for 10 minutes waiting to fill the tank, and I lost focus. And I didn't have gas, even after stopping to get gas. You see, the challenge of faith is to keep our focus while we wait. You remember Jesus once told his disciples when he went away to pray just before his arrest, watch and pray. Don't lose your focus while you wait. So today I, I want to end by looking at this wonderful text of Psalm 40. What do you do when the wait is over? After you've prayed, and after you've waited, and after you've searched for God, and then God's faithfulness is shown. What do you do then? Psalm 40 begins with these words. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he turned to me, and he heard my cry. How many prayers had he prayed? How many, how many requests had he made? How long had he been begging God? And then he wakes up and God heard his cry. You've been there. Several of us have been there. We've begged God to heal and he healed. We've, we've asked God for help and that help came. We looked for God to deliver us and his deliverance came. It doesn't always happen when and how and why we expect it to, but, but after all the waiting and begging and pleading and the asking of how long, one day you wake up to see God's faithfulness has been manifest. So what do you do? How do you respond? Well, that's, that's Psalm 90. In Psalm 90, the psalmist summarizes his story. He doesn't give us a lot of details. We don't know exactly when or where or what happened in his life, but something happened. And he begged God and he cried for God and he waited for the Lord. And the psalmist summarizes it all by saying that God heard. God drew him from the slimy pit. He set his feet upon a rock. And whatever this guy has been facing, whatever he had been asking God to do, God did. God's faithfulness was right in front of him. And the psalmist tells his story. Here's what I did. He says that God put a new song in my mouth. You see, he has a new song because he has a new story. And, and he has words and lyrics to sing about how God has delivered him and how God has heard his prayer. You've heard me talk about this, I'm sure, in the past, that this statement, this phrase, sing a new song, or I have a new song in my mouth, is found seven times in the Old Testament. And when you read the context and you read what's happening, 
Every time God asks his people to sing a new song, it's because God has done a new thing in their life. Churches have literally divided over what we've called worship wars, and most of that has focused on the kind of songs we sing. Some people like the old standard, well-sung, proven songs of the past. And other people, mostly generational divide, say we want to sing the new songs, forget the old songs. Churches have divided over what songs we sing. I taught a class once and was talking about the songs we sing, and we moved to a section of the class where we talked about singing new songs and some of the new songs. And a dear brother who's now with the Lord sitting in the back raised his hand and and said, he may not have even raised his hand, I don't think. He, he just simply said, what's wrong with the old songs? Well, the psalmist said, God's given me something new to sing about. You see, when, when all we sing are the old songs, we leave the impression that God doesn't work anymore. That God has quit doing things in our life. And, and everything we hope for is actually what God used to do. Once upon a time in a land far, far away, we can sing about what he used to do. But the psalmist says, God gave me something new to sing. It's not that the old songs are broken. Those are needed. He'll reference that later. But but God has done something new. When you come to the end of your Bible, to the book of Revelation, chapter 14, There are 144,000, this image of perfection, 144,000 of those who have been sealed and protected by God and delivered by God. And John says they're standing around God's throne and they sing a new song. Because God has done a new thing to sing about. What do you do when God has delivered you? The psalmist says, I put this into into song and I sing this song. God has given me something new to sing, a new story to tell. And it wasn't just a new song in his mouth. He has a new level of obedience. He put a new song in my mouth and he put God's law in his heart. You see, God doesn't just ask that you go to church Something about this guy's life and something about what he's experienced of God has awakened him to a new understanding and a new obedience to God. He has a second chance on life. And what's he going to do with that second chance? He says, I'm going to faithfully serve God. I have written God's law on my heart. And that's what God wants. God is is not satisfied with just going through the rituals. God doesn't just want you to show up and punch a ticket and sing the songs. He doesn't just want you to tune in on Sunday morning and and do something else and claim you've been to worship. God wants his law on your heart. And after this psalmist has been through everything he's been through, he says, I have a new appreciation for who God is. I have a new understanding of God's law, and I have placed that law in my heart. When the wait is over, the obedience must be deeper. And the psalmist says, sacrifice and offering is not really what you desire. 
Burnt offerings and sin offerings is not really what you've required. He's not dismissing those things. He's saying those aren't the end in themselves. What God is aiming for is for his law to be on your heart. When the wait is over, the obedience must be new and deeper. And then, not only does he have a new song and a new level of obedience, he has a new story to tell in front of the congregation. Verse 9. I proclaim your saving acts in the great assembly. I do not seal my lips, Lord, as you know. I do not hide your righteousness in my heart. I speak of your faithfulness and your saving help. I do not conceal your love and your faithfulness from the assembly. The the church or the people have gathered and they've heard him ask for prayers. They've heard every request of his. They've gone to God. He's gone to God privately. And now that he's on the other side of this, And God has heard him, and his wait is over. The guy says, I need to tell this story. You need to hear this story. The whole great congregation needs to hear what God has done in my life. He has a new story in front of a congregation. One of the things I miss about being together are those opportunities we have to share each other's stories, to hear what God has done, to hear what God, how God has worked in your life in the past week, in the past years. I look forward to when we can be together to hear what has happened in your life over the last nine months, ten months, to tell your story. We've heard that here. Robert's story, Reggie's story, Faye's story, Roberta's so many people who God has answered, who have waited and who have seen God's faithfulness. The psalmist says, you need to tell your story. You can't keep people quiet who have seen the work of God. If God has answered, if your wait is over, tell your story. Share what God has done. And the the fascinating thing is that the psalmist says, when we sing our new songs and we tell our new stories, many will serve and fear and put their trust in the Lord. You see, as you wait for God and God's faithfulness is seen, Others will see it too. And God wants you to tell your story. And as we tell God's story, people begin to hear what God can and has done. Maybe the reason people aren't coming to faith as often is because we need to do a better job of talking about God's faithfulness And how God has given us hope. And how we have witnessed firsthand what waiting leads to. And so, it may be that while your wait is over, someone else's wait is beginning. And they need to hear you tell what happens as you wait on the Lord. 
Well, something happens in the middle of this psalm. When you get to verse 11 of Psalm 40, the song changes key and the tempo slows down drastically. You see, in verses 1 through 10, the writer talks about how he waited, God heard him, God drew him up, and he sang and he shared the story. But when you hit verse 11, everything changes. Do not withhold from me your mercy, Lord. May your love and faithfulness always protect me. For troubles without number surround me. My sins have taken over me. I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head and my heart fails within me. Be pleased to save me, Lord. Come quickly, Lord, to help me. May all who want to take my life be put to shame and confusion. May all who desire my ruin be turned back in disgrace. May those who say to me, aha, aha, be appalled at their own shame. But may all those who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who long for your saving help always say the Lord is great. As for me, I'm poor and needy. May the Lord think of me. You are my help and my deliverer. You are my God. Do not delay. Something's happened. One of the aspects of this phrase, waiting on the Lord, that we haven't talked a lot about and deserves more attention in some other time, is that that phrase is often used when talking about enemies and people who are trying to hurt and destroy us. So that this call to wait on the Lord is a call to trust that God will make it right. That God will handle whatever is being done to you. And in the language Paul uses in Romans 13, he says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. And so God's people wait in hopes that God will do what God has promised to do. That it does not land with us to show vengeance and retribution. That no matter what is done to us, we entrust God. We wait for God to make that right. And in Psalm Psalm 40, whatever has happened in this man's life, people are trying to destroy him and to hurt him. And he waits for God to act. As you might expect, this text became all the more relevant this week, watching the events that unfolded in our nation's capital. Men and women carried out vengeance because they didn't get what they want. Violence and destruction and even the death of five people because these guys feel that they had been wronged somehow. And the most despicable and disgusting thing about everything that unfolded on our TVs is that they had the guts to drag the name of Jesus into what they did. They claimed it was for God's glory. They thought they were doing the will of God. That is not how Christians ever act. That's not who we are. That's not what we do. 
even if we've been cheated, and if you're a Christian, you need to let everyone who knows you understand that that did not and does not represent God's people. We wait on the Lord. We love our enemies. We turn the other cheek. We go the extra mile. We bless and we do not curse. That's what God's people do. We wait on the Lord, not what you saw on your television under the name of Jesus. Wait on the Lord. No matter the cause. Whatever happened in Psalm 40 made this writer feel that his life was in danger and threatened. He said, Troubles surround me, enemies seek my life and my ruin. But he's been here before. He knows what's going on. And he waits. He waits on the Lord, who he knows will help him, who he knows God will put those others to shame. And he knows that God will turn them back. He waits on the Lord to handle that. And he knows that God will do this because he's been here before. He's found himself waiting on the Lord before. And he's seen God's faithfulness. You see, that's how Psalm 40 unfolds. He begins by reminding himself of what's happened in his life before. And it unfolds as if this man is telling himself and reminding himself that God will be faithful yet again. You see, that's why the old songs are important too. Because in those moments of waiting, it's important to remind ourselves and each other about the mighty works that God has done. That's why it's important to tell our stories of how God has been faithful. Someone today is waiting on the Lord, and they need to hear the story of how the wait ended for you. Or maybe you're the one who's waiting on the Lord and we need to remind you with our stories of how God's faithfulness has come through. And the psalmist remembers that time in his life when the congregation prayed for him, when he was praying desperately and he remembers what it was like when God heard him. And now as he finds himself waiting again, he sustains himself through that story. One of the things I look forward to most when we get to worship again together is the opportunity to tell our stories. That often happens on Wednesday nights in prayer requests. We spend a lot of time listening to what's happening in your life, to the things you're waiting on God to do. And one of the things that I hope we will take more time and put more effort into is telling the rest of the story. To coming back and hearing about all those things we asked God to do and all those things we were waiting for God to do. To take 
time to tell what God has done. We're all waiting right now to the, to the end of this pandemic, maybe for a, a new job or, or new hope. We're waiting for something in our life and we're hoping for God to act. We're all waiting on Jesus to come. But as we wait, we can't lose focus. We can't lose sight of what we're waiting on and why God is worth waiting for. If you get discouraged, take some time to number the things God has done. Psalm 40 says that if you start that, you can't number them all. That that God has done so many things and he has been so faithful, you, you can't keep up with it. Wait on the Lord. His steadfast love will never, ever end. Let's pray. As your people, God, we wait. In our frustration and in our confusion, we wait. In our fear and our frustration, we wait. Lord, we wait for you to make all things right. We wait for you to bring justice and healing. We wait for you to keep your promises. Lord, we are praying for faith and courage as we wait. We're praying to be faithful as we wait. Lord, we're praying for the day that Jesus comes and your will is done completely in every place. Help us wait, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.